The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to A Rumor of Empathy with your host, Lou Augusta. Lou is one of the premier empathy consultants in the community today. In this program, Lou and his guest experts will help you understand and expand your empathy. In doing so, you may discover a side of yourself that you never even knew existed. Now, here is Lou Augusta. Hi, hi, this is Lou Augusta, and welcome to A Rumor of Empathy. We have got a wide-ranging, talk-filled show today. My special guest is Stan Shatt, Dr. Stan Shatt, Ph.D., who has, I'm going to introduce him now, Stan has had several careers, including futurist, futurist, an executive for many of the world's leading technology market research firms. He's been a police department administrator, a network manager, an autopsy assistant, telecommunication department chairman, and English professor. He's, an, among other things, an author. His nonfiction works include books on strategies for changing careers for green industry jobs, studies of Michael Connolly and Kurt Vonnegut, and college textbooks on network and data communications, telecommunications, and computer programming. Stan is basically a renaissance man, and the occasion for our conversation today is he's turned to writing novels, fiction, fantasies, mysteries, and most recently, the paranormal mystery, Silent Partner a book about sexual identity. Pen L Publishing will release its sequel, A Bullet for the Ghost Whisperer, in November. So that has actually happened. Booktrope has published Alien Love, a science fiction novel that Stan likens to a cross between Casablanca and Star Wars. That just happened, hit in 2015, and is the immediate occasion for my conversation today with Stan Shad. He's also published, one final note, because it's going to come up, he's also published Extraterrestrial First Contact, a nonfiction study of the impact of first contact. So, Stan, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's really great. So what, I mean, so Alien Love, which is what got us initially talking, is, you know, to put in category on it, science fiction fantasy, what's the premise of this novel? Well, the the premise of this is that um, our government has not been uh, truthful to us over the years and that there has been contact. Um, but the premise is also that Relations between humanity and uh, extraterrestrials 
could be a lot more complicated than than we think. Uh, in science fiction movies, very often it's very clear the aliens are either ultra good or ultra bad. Either they're out to destroy us or they're out to save us. But um, my premise is that their their motivations could be a lot more complicated than than we imagine. Say more about that, if you can. Yeah, sure. It it kind of ties in with a, a nonfiction you know book that I did that you mentioned on the subject. But uh, there's been a lot of thought uh, by scientists over the last few years about a, a first contact with with extraterrestrials, and yeah. unfortunately, our history on Earth, in which advanced civilizations, uh, technological civilizations, have uh, encountered more primitive civilizations has not gone too well for the more primitive side. Of Roger that. Yeah, and we, we're going to talk about that. Uh, so, um, so there is concern about that, and some of our leading uh, scientists uh, have, have speculated that we have to be very careful about, uh, about a first contact. Um, we have no idea who's coming, and uh, as an example... Uh, imagine, if you will, the impact on society if it turns out that the uh, the first aliens turn out to be missionaries. Yes, some, some I, I'm, religion I'm, that uh, that I'm, we would I'm, find rather bizarre. I must say, I'm already overstimulated and experiencing rapid ideation with this premise. And and I want to call out that we had talked about your doing a reading of an excerpt from Alien Love. And I, I want to say, this is, you know, like you said, I want to give back to you what you just told me. On our own planet, say in 1492, when Western European societies and civilizations encountered other societies, indigenous people, as uh, we, we describe them, uh, things didn't go that well for the indigenous people. And here we are, you know, in, and in science fiction movies, when we encounter aliens and extraterrestrials, it's either war, right? Like whatever, you know, battle, aliens. And... Independence Day. You know. Thank you, thank you. That's the one, you know, shoot them up. And, you know, and it goes well or it doesn't, but it's basically a war movie. Or... Uh, you know what are the alternatives? Maybe these these indiv- individual creature societies are as confused as we are. How about that? Um, and so when you say maybe, and as, then as you say, well, what if they arrived and they are missionaries? That's a very powerful premise. Well, you know, it takes uh, it takes a very strong motivation to uh, to reach out and explore and go out into you know, in the case of. Uh, of our planet, um, much of the exploration was driven by a desire for uh, wealth, but also by a religious zeal. Yes, yes. Because it is it is very expensive to you know to invest in something like that. Well, and and it is an astonishing thing. I mean, there may be yes, as you say, uh, searching for wealth, the seven cities of gold, Tucson, Phoenix, Las Vegas. Uh, and also religious missionary zeal. And yet, I mean, I'm going to quote Aristotle here, human beings, mankind, by nature desires to know. We are, even on a good day, we're a curious bunch, we are. Um, We are, and in fact, um, you know, Gene Rottenberry uh, managed to uh, convey that in uh, the opening lines of, uh, of Star Trek, 
Yes. You know, where he talks about what the goal of the uh, five-year mission was. Yes. Uh, one was to explore you know, new worlds and encounter new peoples and so forth. Yes. To go where man has never gone before. Um, of course, the, uh, the more um, PC version of that would be where, where humanity has never gone Well, before. exactly, mankind. <laughs> I, I, you know, we want to clean up our language. But, you know, as you say, uh, to go where human beings and, and, and mankind, including men and women, yeah. have. And so um, I'm, I'm, I think that this is worth engaging with in detail. And so maybe this is the point at which to do. Have you got a handy, an excerpt there? Um, from... Yeah, let me read you something from the beginning. Uh, and to, to set the, st- uh, the scene, we have an, an aging um, astronaut who's dying of cancer who mm-hmm. uh, visits a, um, a professor of astrophysics. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, the professor begins recording his his statement, and he uh, the astronaut begins by saying, "It started long before we went into space. I know you've heard about the flying saucer that crashed in Ro- uh, in Roswell, Roswell, but let me tell you how that led to the formation of a group known as Majestic Twelve, and how they managed to keep a lid on everything. I'm not proud of the fact that my fellow astronauts and I let them muzzle us." You worry about your family and your reputation when you're young. I'm too old now to worry about those things. I outlived my only child, and I don't have much time left myself. And then it goes on. Yeah. But that sets the... uh, I see. Okay. And so, I got it. And so... uh, as you say, the government hasn't been entirely straightforward. I'm now thinking about the movie rights to this uh, novel, and <laughs> you know, maybe the show can put you over the top here. I, I, the premise is very powerful. It puts me in mind of two movies, of course, uh, one of which is explicitly about aliens and empathy. Uh, and uh, a fam- I mean, a famous, right, a famous science fiction writer, the name of Philip K. Dick. Do and Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, which was made into the sci-fi movie Blade Runner, a, a, rather a violent but very engaging movie, uh, with the young Harrison Ford playing the role of this bounty hunter who has to go around and uh, take out of action. Now, actually, there weren't aliens. I'm, I'm wrong. They weren't aliens, but there were... Um, Androids. Thank you. Androids, in effect, robots, uh, who were so real and so and so creating so much mischief, according to some interpretation. They had to be they had to be neutralized, which is a a euphemism for killed. And how do you know that they were androids as instead of human beings? This is not a quiz. (laughs) Well, they lacked empathy. They lacked empathy. That's right. There was an empathy test. That had to be performed. And, you know, and the reviews of the movie said, hey, you know, nice try, guys. In this movie, the androids are more empathic than the human beings. The humans lack empathy. The androids have got the empathy. So, you know, and one may interpret that variously. So when, you know, when we make contact, empathy may or may not be relevant, right? I mean, language is going to be relevant. How do we communicate? 
Well, uh, let, let me turn that around uh, and ask you as moderator this. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, since you, uh, you spend a lot of time thinking about empathy, um, as I've written, it, it, it strikes me that uh, humans treat the animals on this planet, um, you know, the, the ones who are lower on the food chain, remarkably different based on how they look. Yeah. If if an animal uh, strikes us as cute, yeah, whether it be a cat or a dog, koalas, koalas, koala, exactly. Yeah, we, yeah. We we um, we give those animals human traits, and we think of them in human terms. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. And on the other hand, if an animal happens to have the misfortune of of having a face that's not particularly attractive, uh, uh, a possum is a good example. Yeah. Then we feel no remorse at all if it turns out to be uh, roadkill. Yeah. Right? And the same thing uh, is, is true with rodents of, of all kinds. Um, uh, in fiction, if you read about a character who's described as having a rat-like face or rodent-like features, it, it's never a good thing. Yeah. So, uh, and there's no empathy for those animals. It's a, it verbal. raises the bar. It definitely raises the bar. <laughs> yeah. So, and, um, and we're not very kind to animals, period. I mean, even those that look fairly well. We put them on greeting cards, and then, I, I mean, I don't want to be too, well, too there, judgmental. Well, there's you know, a, a well-known book out now about the sixth extinction. Yes. And it has to do with the fact that we are depopulating or Yes. Denuding the world of other... Uh, well, it is, indeed. It, you know, nice point. I mean, human beings are a very, very tough species. And I, I mean, in many ways, humans are wounded in certain interesting and engaging ways that make us very challenging for ourselves and for anyone who comes into contact with us. And I agree. I agree. I mean, it's a, it's a big issue and very confronting from an empathic point of view. Uh, I don't have an easy. I mean, you didn't actually ask a question, but I, I see the, you know, I see the challenge. <laughs> you know, I see the well, challenge. No, my point, uh, Lou, yeah. Lou, I guess my, my my point is is that um, when we look at how we will be treated by uh, a, a different intelligence, uh, you have to understand that it, it may not necessarily feel any empathy at all for humans. Um, just as we feel no empathy when we look at insects or, or other creatures. That's right. It's a high bar. I mean, it's a high bar. We have, I would agree, we have essentially zero empathy for insects. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, there was this animation. Was it Pixar or Disney in which, of course, the ants... And the insects and the butterflies and the praying mantises, I think the praying mantis got a kind of heavy bad guy role, were made uh, to look Yeah, human. and then we also had one about bees with uh, yeah. Jerry Seinfeld, but, but for the yeah, most and, part. Yeah, it, but it um, in reinforces your point, because it, first it, they had to be made human-like and human-like, dear it, and cute, exactly. right? And they were insects by name. Uh, but we solved that, the animators solved that problem, right? And then they were facing similar challenges, of course, that human... So we do, I mean, some, it, we're projecting, right? We're, I mean, this is not empathy, but it's a part of empathy. We project. And when 
and when contact is made, I want to get back to your work, Stan, because you're, you know, you're, you're the special guest here and have a lot to teach us. When contact is made, there's going to be a whole hierarchy of challenges. And one of them is going to be one-on-one relatedness, right? I mean, alien love, same, can we say, maybe all love is alien at some level at some time or another. So it has rich metaphorical possibilities, nevertheless, in the context of your narrative. Um, is it boy yeah, meets I mean, uh, what I what I try to do with this book, which makes it kind of different, is um, so much of uh, of science fiction in a way is is uh, is directed at adolescence. Yes. Um, so what I try to do in this book really was to write a an adult, mature uh, science fiction. Novel. I mean, uh, you probably would have to rate it. Uh, probably R. Uh, okay. It's a, it's an adult science fiction novel. It deals with serious issues. It also deals with, um, you know, with with um, love between a uh, a human and a uh, a female that he assumes to be human, uh, who is human, you know, in in many respects, but uh, physically. But is is not really uh, human. I mean, um, the bipedal um, the bipedal form is uh, it's got a number of advantages, and it uh, while there are other types of aliens that are very likely, um, it's just as likely that you may see a bipedal bipedal form of uh, of alien. So, uh, and that's why I said in some ways this book is a a cross between uh, the movies Casablanca, which is a love affair, obviously, and uh, Star Wars. Yes. You are dealing with, uh, with aliens, and some of them are not friendly. And so, I mean, in Casablanca, this is a, a Humphrey Bogart uh, story, uh, I believe uh, 1943-ish, Right, the the mm-hmm. nobody knows whether the Germans are going to win. Casablanca is in North Africa. Humphrey Bogart, a man's man under some interpretation, meets Ingrid Bergman, a very lovely woman. They've had an affair in Paris. Uh, I'm setting. I'm getting, providing context. Part of the challenge is to provide a context for the conversation, and then all hell breaks loose, and he has some tough choices to make. So listen, right. we're coming and, and, up. Yeah, and go at ahead. the end, at the end, there are there is some question as to what she will do and what her motivation is. Yeah, will she uh, remain with her, you know, her husband, or will she go with Rick? Right, it's down to the wire there, and we're going to have some further quotes from Casablanca and Alien Love. Both, uh, we're coming up on a sponsorship break, and so. Uh, when we come back, Stan, I, uh, we have a couple of possibilities. Uh, another quotation from Alien Love. Uh, I'd also like to talk about the writing process. You're, in addition to being a futurist and a autopsy assistant and telecommunications chairman, you're uh, obviously a talented author, and uh, you know, it might make sense to mix it up and say what makes a good mystery. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, my special guest today is Stan Shatt, futurist author, uh, all-around Renaissance man. We'll be right back.
This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Lou Augusta is one of the premier educators and empathy consultants in action in the community today. As the author of three books on empathy and a Ph.D. from the University of Chicago Philosophy Department on Empathy and Interpretation, Lou provides three services. Empathy Consulting and Education, in which he coaches individuals and organizations on how to expand the results they are getting in their life, business, or organization by expanding their empathy. Individual Psychotherapy Services, to help with recovery from trauma or other confronting personal issues, where Lou's commitment is to provide a gracious and generous listening, as providing access to shifting out of resignation into engagement, action, and accomplishment, and delivering the empathy training seminar and workshop for groups where the participants get access to the deep infrastructure of empathy. For further details, see Lou on the web at louagusta.com. That is spelled L-O-U-A-G-O-S-T-A or phone 773-203-0269. Again, louagusta.com or phone 773-203-0269. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to share success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Hear about personal growth, building a better business, inspirational life stories, and personal branding. You'll find it every day at voiceamericaempowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to A Rumor of Empathy. To reach Lou Augusta or his guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to a rumor of empathy at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, this is Lou Augusta, and welcome back to the show. My special guest today is Stan Shat, futurist, technologist, and author. Before the break, we were talking about Stan's latest novel, or one of his latest novels, Alien Love. A grown-up story, a story for grown-ups, not merely for teens and adolescents, about first contact with life forms from beyond our solar system. And so, Stan, among other things, you're a writer. I wonder, uh, would it make sense to start off with another quotation or excerpt from Alien Love and then get into talking about the writing process? Um, sure. I'm happy to do that. Um green light yeah so um the um the female alien is named cassandra that's the name she's using and she's talking to the 
uh, to Jack, who turns out to be the hero of this novel. Uh, and uh, she indicates that uh, Stephen Hawking said that we shouldn't alert aliens that we're here. Uh, so Jack says, so when you think of aliens, you think Independence Day and not E.T. That seems kind of cynical for a scientist. And Cassandra says, I'm just saying that real life may not be like movie, like a movie that ends happily in two hours with the humans defeating the horrible-looking aliens. Maybe the aliens are more complicated than can be explained in a two-hour movie. Think about their appearance. The aliens in so many movies look alike, you know, short, gray, with huge eyes. Look at all the birds and insects. Why assume the universe is so bland? He says, okay, say you're right, and the aliens come in all shapes and sizes. What would they want here? Our water and precious metals? And she says, how would I know? Maybe different aliens want different things. Yes. And he says, um, you mean they're not all here for our women? And she... <laughs> Cassandra stared at Jack with her mouth open in surprise. What would they want with Earth's women? He says, I don't know. In most of the science fiction movies I've seen, it's the women that the aliens want to kidnap and take back with them. Cassandra laughed. Maybe that's because all the aliens in the movies were males. Well, you just stop there. That, um, nice point. But, um, drum roll there. Well, that's right. The ma I mean, relating is complicated. And um, so, yeah, uh, I'm enrolled. I mean, I think, I mean, it, so, you know, you are a writer. Uh, she, would, our audience is endlessly fascinated by the creative process, as am I and as are most people. Uh, you've written a variety, fiction and nonfiction. This particular alien love is for better want of a better term, science fiction. Uh, mm -hmm. But you've also written mysteries. Mm -hmm. um, you know, pick one. I mean, what? T tell yeah. me, tell the listener about how do you write? What? 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 What comes up? What happens? Yeah. Well, well. First of all, every time you you uh, write, I mean, the first thing that comes down besides what are you going to write about is is what genre are you writing in? There are certain ground rules for every uh, genre, just as there, you know, I've had a number of different uh, careers, and there, there are certain ground rules for every career, certain rules that you're expected to follow, so forth. Well, it seems so, like you're good at quickly mastering those rules. I, I just call that uh, yeah, out. Yeah, I think, I think for whatever reason, I, I have yeah. been able to do that. Um, yeah. But take mysteries, for example. Uh, people expect certain things in a mystery. Uh, they... For number one, they they want they they don't want to have a Deus Ex Machina at the end. They don't want to have uh, suddenly, you know, at the very end, some some person who wasn't even mentioned in the entire novel turns out to be the one who did the killing. Right. Uh, that's breaking a rule. What what people want in a mystery is they want there to be clues that they can follow, and they can play along with the detective or whoever is in the book and and see if they can guess who the killer is or the villain is before the uh, protagonist does. And if, if the mystery is crafted effectively, even if they don't, they'll go back and they'll look at all the clues that they missed and they'll appreciate them and they'll, they'll conclude that the, uh, 
the novelist did a good job. The the book actually works. You know, my my association is reverse double reverse, right? The the that that's the sort of rule is you should ha- be able to figure out who done it, who did it, right? right? right. But that that you want almost want to be surprised. You know, usually there are red herrings, uh, and and usually there is, you know, uh, a suspect at the beginning who looks obvious and, and turns out not to be. But sometimes there's a double reverse, as you mentioned. Sometimes uh, a mystery writer can present the actual villain initially, uh, and then make it appear that the person is not the one you want. And only at the end do they discover something that makes it. Uh, clear that he indeed was the uh, the right suspect. So there are different ways of playing that game, but uh, you do have to play by the by the rules. Now, I did something which is more difficult. I wrote what's called a paranormal uh, mystery. Yeah, and, say more about that. Paranormal. Yeah, a paranormal Just, mystery means yeah. you've got some things in there that cannot be explained by science, right? Uh, in this case, there's a, an apparition. But... You still An apparition, a, a key term. And paranormal means like, for example, extrasensory perception, ESP, whatever right, that things is. Things that cannot right now be explained by, by science. Yeah. But, but my point is that even if you include something like that, you still have to play by the rules, which means that you can't have, let's say, a ghost or somebody uh, solve the mystery, you know, or see things that we don't see. It, it right. still needs to be solved by good old-fashioned logic. Indeed. Uh, other, otherwise, uh, you know, then, then why, is the, why is the detective banging his head against the wall? Why not just ask the ghost who did it? <laughs> well, you can ask, but somehow <laughs> the, the right. ghost has got to be uh, such that even there are some obstacles there, right? I mean, I'm noticing a pattern here, and I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a powerful pattern of issues around communicating. And, you know, it's not exactly, I mean, empathy in the narrow sense, you, as you know, I'm interested in the subject, but, but how do people get, get across to one another in situations of otherness? The extraterrestrial is other, the ghost is, or the paranormal phenomenon right? I mean, it's not like somebody wearing a sheet, I presume, is other. It's way different. The yeah, otherwise different. known in plain English is, whoa, way different than my experience. Right, and, and even in the, uh, the science fiction book, the aliens uh, obviously uh, communicate, but they, they're coming from different places, clearly. So um, yeah. what, they're, what they're, in fact, the same thing with the supernatural uh, being. I mean, you don't really know what's behind what they're saying. Uh, you're never really sure. So that's what makes it kind of interesting. And, and in some way that's true of, of real life. I mean, you know, you talk to somebody you meet. Uh, you don't really have a way of gauging just how accurate what they say is, is true. And you don't really know what their motivation is in saying certain things, right? Yeah. So You uh, have no, no clue. Would be, sometimes, I mean, we begin exactly. by now, assuming... Yeah. If you're married over a period of time, you come to uh, understand your spouse and you can kind of understand where he or she's coming from. But when you're talking to somebody you've just met, uh, you really have no clue at all. So, uh, you know, when, when you uh, study literature, they always talk about the unreliable narrator. Yes. You know? <laughs> so uh, 
is he when a person's narrating a story is he telling you the truth is he telling you only the truth as he sees it or you know is it real well that's right and there's a whole that's fascinating because there's a whole continuum there's a whole set of things you know that the narrator is is making this stuff up whole cloth that he or she the narrator herself doesn't know the facts right or sometimes I mean, I'm having a lot of free associations here, Stan. I'm going to share one of them with you, right? I mean, in in some of the Sherlock Holmes, I don't know, mystery stories, those are mystery, right? And sometimes yeah, murder yeah, mystery, yeah. people end up dead and so on. Uh, and the jewels are stolen or, the you know, there's blackmail, a lot of blackmail is going on. Holmes gets a letter, which he looks at. And he doesn't reveal the contents of the letter for, you know, another 10 pages or something. Now, he's got access to that information, but the reader does not. An unfair advantage, one might say. I'm making this up, of course, as I go along here. So part, I mean, what I'm getting to kind of want to give it back to, maybe the writing process is driven by these information asymmetries that somebody, you know, the other knows or doesn't know something, and, and the, the narrator knows or doesn't know something. And the writing yeah. process itself, I don't know if this is how, I'm just speculating, right? That you think about what are the logical consequences or what are the probable or what are, you know, what are the different scenarios that come up out of this? Yeah, well, I, I'm not sure about that, but I can tell you that you know, in the old days, a hundred years ago, people liked to read things written by an omniscient author. Yes. The author knew everything in the world, and he, he told you everything. So he would say, dear reader, yeah. let me tell you what's going to happen, and you know, then it, then it happened. And, and, and it, people were comfortable with that. But maybe the world has become less ordered uh, and more uncertain, and so we, we really don't, uh, we consider that approach to be old-fashioned. Nobody really does it anymore. Um, and so yeah. it's different. Now, I also write, uh, sometimes I write a thriller. A thriller is different in that in a thriller, the reader knows things that the uh, hero doesn't know. Ah, uh, yes. So it's not so much a mystery because the, the hero, I mean, the, uh, the reader knows. And so what you do is that what, the, what creates the tension is the fact that you worry whether or not the hero is going to get killed because... The, the author's been telling you about this very, very uh, smart uh, villain who is going to sneak up on him. Right. So you know who the villain is, and you know what he's doing. You just uh, don't know whether or not the, uh, the hero's going to survive or not. That's right. Uh, but in the writing process, as, as, I, as I started to say at the beginning, um, first of all, you have to know what territory you're going in in terms of you know, what the rules are, uh, you know, what the readers expect in a certain type of, of book. Now, in science fiction, you have a lot more leeway in the sense that you can pretty much write about anything except, uh, I mean, I mean, you can write about anything. The reader has to kind of accept the, the, the beginning premise. You know, when you pick up a science fiction book, you, you know, and you, you're told that, uh, there's time travel. You just yep. kind of have to accept that. Now, there are um, forms of science fiction, hard science fiction, where the readers tend to be more technical, and they really expect you to explain any technology that's different than what we have today. It has to be theoretically possible. Yes. So that makes it a little more challenging. 
Well, it does put me in mind of a uh, a paragraph or uh, snippet from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when they're explaining the improbability drive, which enables yeah. the characters to get from one place in the universe to another. And at a certain point, it requires these. Uh, by the way, I, I want to say is it was it Douglas Adams? He, he was very yeah. British at certain yeah, moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was. Maybe you can fill it. Maybe you can, you know, provide the punchline. Once again, this is not a quiz. Improbability drive required. A warm, yeah, I can't think of the line, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, a uh, really hot cup of tea <laughs> to yeah. get to get it started. So um, that you know, if I have to explain the joke, it's not funny. Okay, but the yeah, British have no, jokes about uh, tea. Oh, but but what I what I'm trying to say is that um, you know, even something like. Um, Turn on the warp drive. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there are people who take offense to the idea of uh, warp, and you have to kind of uh, explain how that actually will take place and so forth. So it, it depends uh, on, the, on the type of uh, science fiction you're writing. But So first of all, you have to have the territory staked out in terms of you know what the rules are. Uh, and then you have to start with the characters. And, and a lot of novelists believe that everything starts with the characters. Uh, you have to have interesting characters or there's really no story. And there's no reason for someone ever to read the book a second time if the characters aren't interesting. So one of the uh, the challenges for a writer is to actually create characters, even minor characters, who are realistic and three-dimensional. Yes. Uh, you know, and, just and, saying who, somebody, and who we care about and who we want yeah, to care exactly. about, right? You know, just, just saying that a character's doesn't really uh, convey and why are they fat uh, do they have an eating disorder because they're nervous or this or that or were they abused as a child um, we, you know you try to find some kind of context so that uh, the characters uh, have complex you know feelings and motivations uh, and so, so so what a lot of writers do and I've done this to some extent on occasion is you, you develop some characters, you kind of think about these characters, then you have them interact with each other. And maybe you write uh, a portion of where you're going. Um, uh, I, I read a quote from Daniel Silva. Da- Daniel Silva is uh, a writer who writes about um, a famous Israeli assassin uh, for the Mossad called Daniel, talk called uh, Gabriel Alon. I don't know if you've read any of his I'm fascinated by it, and I I have to ask you at this point, we want to continue on this, to hold the thought, Stan, because we're coming up on a sponsorship break. So we're going to go to that, and when we come back, I want to hear about the assassin's assassin. And there are some interesting ways of killing people that you know about as a futurist. Not exactly, uh, this is once again fiction, of course, uh, which we want to engage. And so, ladies and gentlemen, my special guest today is Stan Shatt, futurist, author, renaissance man. We will be right back. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. 
making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Lou Augusta is one of the premier educators and empathy consultants in action in the community today. As the author of three books on empathy and a Ph.D. from the University of Chicago Philosophy Department on Empathy and Interpretation, Lou provides three services. Empathy Consulting and Education, in which he coaches individuals and organizations on how to expand the results they are getting in their life, business, or organization by expanding their empathy. Individual Psychotherapy Services, to help with recovery from trauma or other confronting personal issues, where Lou's commitment is to provide a gracious and generous listening, as providing access to shifting out of resignation into engagement action and accomplishment and delivering the empathy training seminar and workshop for groups where the participants get access to the deep infrastructure of empathy for further details see lou on the web at louagusta.com that is spelled l-o-u-a-g-o-s-t-a or phone 773-203-0269. Again, louagusta.com or phone 773-203-0269. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to A Rumor of Empathy. To reach Lou Augusta or his guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to arumorofempathy at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, this is Lou Augusta, and welcome back to A Rumor of Empathy. My special guest today is Dr. Dan Schatt, futurist, technologist, science fiction author, mystery author, thriller author, author of authors. And uh, before, and I want to give a shout out for those of you uh, to, to get his uh, writings, S-C-H, as in Stan, Cat, Henry, A-T-T, Stan Shat and look for Alien Love, uh, about to come out or recently published, A Bullet for the Ghost Whisperer. And, um, and, and so, welcome back to the show, Stan. Before the break, we were talking about Daniel Silva and assassination. Yeah, uh, I, I just wanted to mention that he, uh, he, he told an interview once that he, he kind of plots the first third of a book, and then he lets the characters interact. Uh, 
And uh, since the book deals, his books deal with an assassin, there are all kinds of interesting ways to uh, to kill people. But um, I don't really need him to tell me because I spent uh, many, many years as a as a futurist covering various technologies, and uh, it's a goldmine when it comes to coming up with uh, effective means of killing somebody so subtly that the detective can't figure out how it was done. Well, I mean, and this is ripped from the headlines, too. <laughs> I mean, say more about that. I mean, and, you know, all the necessary disclaimers apply. We're writing fiction, mystery novels, and so well, on. It's, you know, it's people not, a, run it's with not a how-to, uh, but... Yeah. Um, uh, Homeland actually used one of the ones that I had uh, come up with a while ago, and that, that has to do with um, the fact that uh, I used to be a, an expert on wireless technology, uh, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, whatever, and a lot of the medical devices today uh, are controlled wirelessly. And the reason for that is that uh, that way doctors can monitor them and also, uh, you know, subtly adjust them when they need adjusting. Well, that's uh, right. I mean, and that's a great advantage. You don't, I mean, the, the patient or the client doesn't have to go into the office, get in the car. With yeah. telecommunications, it can be done remotely. Right. I, I have a, uh, a relative who had a uh, pacemaker put in, and he happens to be a software engineer who uh, works on printers. And he said he had the oddest feeling when the doctor came up to him and put this little gizmo over his chest and was adjusting his uh, pacemaker, you know, wirelessly. Because he said the, he does a similar thing with his printers, you know, he, he can control them wirelessly. <laughs> well, so that's a, that, I mean, it is truly remarkable. I mean, the future is here, right? I mean, and, and, and you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, so... So anyways, uh, nowadays, one, one device that uh, is very useful is a, uh, an insulin pump that can be placed inside somebody and uh, control the insulin intake for people, you know, diabetics who, who need this. Yes. Uh, it's a wonderful thing because they don't have to keep giving themselves shots all the time. So uh, the, the danger, of course, is that none of these devices were, were developed with any kind of security. There is uh -huh. a little lock. There is a little lock on the uh, <laughs> the the, the uh, Wi-Fi channel or Bluetooth channel. So uh, it would be relatively easy for somebody to actually hack into it and actually uh, increase the insulin dose, and somebody would die of a, an insulin overdose. And I think the odds are probably ninety-nine point nine 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 percent to to one that. Uh, that the coroner would uh, attribute the death to simply a malfunction of the uh, medical device. Isn't that something? I mean, and so this is quite a premise for a thriller. Right, right. The you perfect know, crime, it, well, right? It, 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 Quote, unquote. History, you wouldn't know. If it were a thriller, you actually would see the, uh, the villain coming with his little wireless device and, and you know, let's say... Uh, a character you cared about was on the operating table there, yes. and uh, the tension would mount because she'd wonder if the detective or the hero would get there in time to stop this guy from, uh, uh, you know, sending his wireless message. From doing his wicked mischief in it, this it, case. It, with... Exactly, and, you know, probably there, if it were a TV show, there would be a commercial just before the, the critical moment there.
we should have we should have worked that into today's programming, but uh, we'll keep that in mind. And so, I mean, new ways of killing people, not only in murder mystery novels. I mean, this can be very confronting. Uh, and other other way. I mean, so this is the perfect crime. Thank you for the correction there. Uh, if it's a thriller, you know, the audience or reader knows something that uh, the the character in the story doesn't. Whereas if it's a mystery, the you know sometimes. Um, Right. The reader doesn't know, it's by design. Right. Now, a lot of uh, modern, uh, I mean, a lot, a lot of uh, detective stories, mysteries now, uh, are making, making use of, you know, the latest science advances, which includes DNA. Yes. So when I wrote uh, Silent Partner, uh, one of the major themes has to do with sexual identity, and, and one of the characters happens to be transgender. Now, when that character has a uh, sex change operation, when the detectives start looking for uh, the, uh, the, the, the villain, uh, they have some blood, they do some DNA analysis, and lo and behold, they know that they are looking for a woman. Unfortunately, they're not going to find a woman because uh, <laughs> the woman has become a man. Yes. So uh, it raises some issues. Uh, similarly, uh, uh, I have a relative who had a uh, bone marrow transplant. And one of the things that I discovered, which I will probably make use of in a future novel, is that uh, it changed his uh, blood type. Hmm. Because he, since he used someone else's bone marrow, that person had a different blood type. And so the, cell, the blood cells that are being produced for him now are this new blood type. Hmm. So there are all kinds of, you know, advances in science that can uh, be reflected in, in fiction and present all kinds of, you know, fascinating possibilities. Well, let, I mean, let's go there. Uh, you, I think it, you know, of all of the people I have met in the past, oh, I don't know, 20 or 30 years, you are one of the most qualified to literally be a futurist and to have a have a grasp of how current technology plays into the future and what's coming at us. I suppose we should also call out people like Ray Kurzweil at this point, but you make the short list, that's for sure. What, what do you see as happening in the world? I don't know. Take it wherever you want. Run with the ball. We could start with writing, the future of the book, the future of of um, of technology on this planet yeah well i mean uh, i've i've read a lot of um books um about kurzweil and about his, some of his theories and as well as his and he's probably right that the uh, the singularity is coming very soon that we're going to have um, we're going to actually create artificial intelligence with consciousness yeah. uh, the timeline for that most experts think are within the next 25 years. So that would mean that you create a, uh, you know, uh, an artificial intelligence that, that actually is aware of itself, that actually has consciousness. And yeah. once you do that, of course, then uh, as far as Stephen Hawking is concerned, some others, you really are in a very dangerous spot. <laughs> because... If you have artificial intelligence with with its own consciousness, then then the question is, does it have any morality? 
uh, how does it view mankind? One might ask. Uh, you know, uh, Isaac Asimov tried to get around that issue by simply creating his rules for robots, you know, the, the laws of robotics. Yes. Uh, you can't destroy a human, you can't do anything to hurt a human, but it's more complicated than that when it comes to trying to, to deal with uh, an artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, do we really want some amoral uh, intelligence judging us and, and, and coming to some conclusions as to whether humanity is really needed anymore? Well, it, this is very confronting and very dynamic. I mean, empathy tells us what the other is experiencing, and morality tells us what to do about it, right? And so once we have consciousness, it's a whole new ball game. And I suppose we haven't actually defined our terms. I mean, you got a short definition of consciousness, Andy, here? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it basically, I, I'm using it in the same way that um, we use it with... Uh, you know, with 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 um, newborn okay. humans, where they have to get to a certain stage for them to actually separate themselves from their environment, realize they are unique, a unique person, and uh, so presence to... and, and understand that they are alive, right, right, and that they have their own personality, their own being, presence to a world. Uh, right. There's a world. I am present to a world. It may be more dreamlike or uh, like what a mammal, a higher mammal, is experiencing, maybe with or without language. Yeah, uh, I, I exist. I exist yeah. as a separate entity. Okay, got uh, it. So, so that's one of the major, you know, obviously the, the major breakthroughs in the next uh, couple decades, I think. And, and uh, you know, there, there are some writers who are optimistic. They'd like to believe that uh, we will be co-partners. You know, we will be partners from that point on and work together. Uh, in fact, there are some uh, who even speculate that uh, that there will be laws written into the Constitution guaranteeing rights. Yeah, that would require at least an act of Congress and then some. So Congress would actually have to be able to get something done. But we can't go there right now. We actually have about <laughs> two minutes left on our, and we do have to stop on time. Final thoughts. I invite your final thoughts on what are you working on next, whatever you'd like to yeah. say. Um, I'm finishing up a, a um, couple projects. One is a book about Daniel Silva, the uh, writer about the Israeli assassin Gabriel Alon. And that's a reader's guide, and that'll probably be available in the fall. I also have written a book with my granddaughter called uh, uh, Jane Blonde International Spy, which is a tween mystery. A tween uh, mystery? A tween it sounds, mystery. Like, sounds like fun uh, for teenagers. <laughs> well, a mystery, you know, for tweens, uh, teens. And, and it's, uh, it's about a girl who has a number of friends, including a fat nerd and a... Uh, uh, a boy with uh, Asperger's sy syndrome, and how they all work together to solve a uh, a mystery. Well, I look forward to seeing and getting my hands on these books and more, Stan. We are out of time. I express my profound, sincere, enthusiastic. This show has been stimulating, maybe overstimulating. I can get overstimulated. It's been really great mixing it up with you. My special guest today has been Stan Shatt. 
technologist, futurist, author. Be sure to check him out on Amazon, S-C-H-A-T-T. Next week, we're going to have an exciting show in which I'm going to continue the conversation about my empathy tips and techniques. Look forward to seeing you then. Have a great week. Signing off. for tuning in to A Rumor of Empathy with Lou Augusta. Please join us again next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope to see you again next week.